This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Friday, 24th, February 2023. Markets trying to avoid another uh, breakdown. We saw the second day of probing below that 4,000 level in the S&P 500. That move was rejected overnight. As you can see on the, the chart on slide two today, it looks a little bit more impressive on the future, These testing, uh, the testing of these levels uh, than it does on the cash index. Um, the 200-day moving average on the future is, is a bit misleading because on the index, it's still some 30 points below uh, where we tested yesterday. But that certainly that uh, rising trend line has been tested uh, in both places and, and really is uh, that, that next key area here, the 200-day moving average, the, the rising trend line. This is all the stuff that defines whether we're in a going to man, manage to uh, maintain this choppy uptrend we've seen since last, uh, call it October uh, lows, and uh, or whether we we're in for a fresh uh, meltdown lower. I think kind of interesting as well, if we look across markets, the um, Treasury market finding support there was another strong jobless claims print yesterday. We saw the yields trying to poke at those highs for the cycle. I think we even managed to, to post a slight new high for the cycle in the 10-year, but we rolled over quite a bit. And I'm wondering if some of that is a little bit of a safe haven trade or maybe a sign of exhaustion in the Treasury market as we saw the 10-year yield, for example, closing some 10 basis points off those highs. So, so yeah, uh, fairly low energy session, though. All we can say is we sort of avoided uh, worse, worse news for now. But I think the, the, the backdrop is still concerning, especially – on the geopolitical front here, Peter. Certainly it is. And um, <clears throat> we, we're still seeing very good performance from our defense basket. And it was joined by the semiconductors yesterday, as you can see on, on slide two with our theme basket's performance overviews. It's almost a 2%, uh, sorry, 1.3%, if I can... It's a little bit far away, that slide, but um, it's, uh, it was the second best performing. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe you're getting old enough to need glasses, yeah, huh, Peter? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, but very strong performance, and, and, and I think that's a trend that will continue. And on the semiconductor side, we had a, another news, and I said to you, John, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what's happening with the, uh, after the U.S. Uh, uh, CHIPS Act. I will continue to call it the CHIPS Act because that's where, what I've called it, and it, it, it really is the centerpiece of that legislation to move away the semiconductor supply chains to Europe and the US and elsewhere, Japan as well as South Korea. And TSMC, the foundry business out of uh, Taiwan, is now setting up, uh, has found its you know, its location for the second fab that it's building now in Japan. And as I said to you, it, it's, it's, it's amazing because it, you know the capital needed for all these uh, factories is in the order of $10 billion each, and they're setting up multiple of those. And then maybe also highlighting, you know, mega caps were the third best performing uh, theme basket yesterday, and that was, of course, <clears throat> was driven by the 14% rally in NVIDIA stock, and NVIDIA being a top 20, it seems like it pulled that cluster of stocks higher, although there is no real uh, causality or connection with NVIDIA to the rest of the pack in, in, in that part of the uh, of the market. And I now that I have the word, uh, I, will, I will extend... As they say in Danish. Yes, sorry. Uh, I'll extend it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. On slide three. So I've put in here the S&P 500's uh, 12 months rolling shareholder yield. And, and people might, uh, the listeners might be thinking, what is the shareholder yield? So basically, I've, uh, it's, the, it's the dividends, but also, also plus the net change in the share capital. So if, you, if companies, and that's the case in the S&P 500, has been the case for over 10 years now with a lot of the excess profits in the technology sector, this excess capital is used to buy back their own shares, and those shares are then cancelled constantly, and that reduces the share capital on the balance sheet of these companies. So 
that is basically the capital that is sent back to to shareholders or uh, put back to shareholders. And if you take that relative to the price, you get a shareholder yield, and that's around four percent. And the reason why I want to show this is actually that we can compare that with the ten-year yield, and then you can think about it. So the the four percent yield almost we have in the U.S. ten-year yield is a fixed income stream. These the number here you're getting is four percent, but then you also have the underlying growth of those dividends and the uh, buybacks, which is a function of uh, of, uh, of profits and a high return on invested capital. So I still think that equities <clears throat> in an inflationary environment, environment with the current yield level we have is still the better deal. So I just wanted to hammer in that point because Wilson from Morgan Stanley is, is out touring the world with his um, his view that you know the equity risk premium is is uh, is very low, and uh, I think my opinion on that is that I. I, I I don't really agree with the methodology that Morgan Stanley is using for computing that equity risk premium. All right. Peter versus Morgan Stanley. <clears throat> All right. Let's bring you into the conversation here. Ola, we have a – you've been out to, on traveling and, and otherwise uh, the, for much of this week. But um, let's have a look at the commodities market. I've, I've talked a little bit about natural gas, talking about the collapse in the uh, spot price, the spot months uh, versus the forward months. And you've, you've got a good illustration of <laughs> the scale of contango relative to other commodities. It's pretty remarkable there on slide five. But what's your focus here in commodities? And I did note a, uh, a you know, copper struggling uh, overnight. I think it's interesting for in my space, for example, uh, the Australian dollar, but also in, in general on the whole China recovery story. Yes, indeed, John. And uh, that recovery story is, is really what uh, has, uh, or the, the steam has gone a bit out of that uh, recovery story this month. And uh, instead, the market, as we all know, has uh, focused on the, the hawkishness that's uh, been signaled from the central bank in the US, uh, from the FMC. Um, and that's basically driving uh, some risk adversity back into the market. But uh, what I think is it's, uh, important to keep a focus on, and that is uh, the backwardation and contango you just mentioned, John, is the fact that even though we have this setback, you can see that on the performance table uh, for the one month performance uh, in uh, or the month to date uh, in, in commodities, we are we see seeing losses across the board almost, uh, with a few exceptions in the soft sector. Uh, but despite of this, uh, the backwardation that we have in the market, which is basically a reflection of of the underlying tightness in the market, basically the forward curve indicating that the highest price is, is to be found at the front end of the curve, that remains. It has come down recently. Um, the outlier is, is, is quite clearly natural gas, as we've been talking about earlier in the week, a one-year contango of, of more than 50%. Basically, if you buy natural gas uh, in, uh, at this point in time, you need to make at least 50, you need to rally by at least 50% over the next year in order for you just to break even. But generally, the backwardation remains, and that tells me that this is more confidence Lack of confidence market uh, that we're having right now, not a market that is driven by a sudden change in the outlook for demand. All right. And you also, yeah, obviously staying with the staying with the, because you mentioned copper, and uh, let's just move to slide six as well, because uh, copper has uh, had an interesting, um, well, I would say a bit of an interesting setback here. Um, first of all, it is the commodity out of the, uh, the, the high flies back in January, which was gold, crude oil and copper. It is the one that has uh, held up the best. We are still above key support. We haven't really challenged that in earnest. Um, we did break high again last week, but uh, has come back now. And, and, and I think it's just overall the, the, the general lack of confidence in the, in the speed of the recovery in China that is uh, playing its part. We're seeing inventory levels rising in China. So processes have picking up, has been picking up speed in anticipation of, of increased demand. So right now we just basically got inventories going up at a time where demand is not really starting to, to work, uh, pick up. But at the same time, 
supply is one thing that we simply cannot ignore when it comes to uh, industrial metals, and I think it, especially copper right now. We we know the uh, we know the problems that are we, we see we, we find in South America right now, both in uh, Chile but especially in Peru. But in Central America, the uh, the the ongoing uh, dispute between the the, the Panamanian 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 I guess. Yeah, government <laughs> and uh, and uh, First Quantum uh, Minerals uh, from Canada, uh, which basically operates uh, a massive mining operation, the biggest um, the biggest investment in Panama since the uh, or bigger than the the Panama Canal. Is uh, they basically announced yesterday they they're having to halt processing because simply the dispute is is making it impossible to to uh, to ship the copper and that's 1.5 percent of the global supply that uh, potentially could be impaired by that. It's also the reason why the the stock uh, price of this co- company has struggled recently to keep up with the the rally we've seen in copper simply because this dispute is such a big part of its revenues. But uh, the fact the market the price uh, stock market or the stock price actually rose yesterday when this announcement came could indicate that uh, the market is basically believes that we will find a solution because it's, it's such an important revenue generator for Panama and also in terms of job uh, that uh, the jobs that it, it, it offers so um, we're looking for some kind of a, a solution but uh, but for now it's keeping supply away from the market all right so looking at copper price rolling over there we've also seen the Chinese renminbi are continuing to weaken one of the more persistent moves recently in FX and so we can roll back to slide four and have a look at that Aussie chart, talking about some really pivotal levels there as well. This uh, 200-day moving average coming in around 68 or just above. Tested below that yesterday. Uh, that did not fall. I think there's a lot of risk sentiment correlation here. But there are also other pressures on the Aussie, the uh, not-so-hawkish RBA, although that uh, outlook has been upgraded uh, from where they were prior to that, uh, to, prior to the, uh, the recent uh, slight hawkish upgrade. And the 6780 area was uh, coincidentally the 38.2% retracement of the entire rally off of those lows from last October. And very much, uh, you know, we talked about lows last October. That's where also where the equity market uh, bottomed out. So risk sentiment, very key for Aussie. I think one of the most uh, sensitive to the, both uh, sentiment in general, but also the China recovery story. And next levels, if we're failing here, looking maybe the 50% retracement, but even down into 65.50 and, and 65, the psychological level for Aussie, if we get a, a bigger capitulation and sentiment. Uh, overnight, we did have a Japanese uh, or the the nominee to replace Kuroda at the Bank of Japan, Katsuo Ueda, testifying before the lower house. And this was just after or around the time frame of also a slightly soft CPI report out of Japan. His performance was, was quite sort of... Uh, Cautious, I would say, uh, not necessarily dovish, not necessarily hawkish, but sort of two-way, saying, "Look, easing for now, but you know, if if the inflation comes in and supports the need to move, then we'll move." So very conditional, but certainly not overtly hawkish by any means. And we saw a slightly weaker yen. On the other hand, with these yields rolling over, that is providing the Japanese yen with a little bit of support here. So mixed developments for the yen overnight. And those are probably the three currencies I'm focusing most on at the moment. Although we have some interesting technical levels in play. Eurodollar has tested below 106 for the first time since near the beginning of the year. And this whole 120 and sub-120 support areas in cable, so sterling versus the dollar, also uh, key to watch here. And then one thing I, I, I should have mentioned at the top of the uh, show, and you probably are aware of this already, but just to to, uh, to talk about it because it is, I think, the one of the very critical points for this market and what direction we head here in terms of the geopolitical backdrop, and that was China here on the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine offering a peace proposal or position paper on a peace proposal, however you want to position it, 
I will hopefully tweet that out if if uh, if we remember to. That was sort of widely rejected or dismissed by by Western observers, essentially calling for some sort of ceasefire. Um, whereas the Western observers are saying, you know, basically the only way to for peace is for Russia to withdraw from from Ukraine's uh, declared territory. Yeah, I, I laugh a little bit over one of the uh, one of the points in that twelve point proposal from China, which is that all the sanctions that are not uh, not agreed to in the in the UN should be revoked. <laughs> Yeah. which is quite a, quite laughable when you know Russia has a veto power in the UN and and I think it's it's I think it's China's and Russia's attempt to show hey you create this multi uh, multinational institution um and and see so we should abide by it right that's your rules but effectively I would say that <clears throat> everything that's happened in the world over the past 10 years has been one one long road towards you know just the the dismantle of all these institutions that was uh, that was created after World War II, and I think China and Russia has been very active in 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 that direction. So to the extent where the U.S. and I will admit that the U.S. is also today, with, especially with the U.S. Chips Act, is potentially violating w, WTO uh, rule sets, and there are all things going on. And I think I'm not here to point fingers at anyone. I just think that because we can't agree, and it's two value system, it's authoritarian regimes against. Um, Against liberal democracies or so, and, and different shades of, of both ends or spectrums, um, you just can't have these international institutions as we had after the World War II. So um, it, it's just a very, it's just a different, just a different period we have entered for for good. I think that's a good summation. I think of what's going on here, and there's even talk of a drone manufacturer, a Chinese one, uh, looking at transferring some technology for Russia to produce its own version of drones for military use. So this this issue is still ongoing, uh, this sort of formal, whether China's formally entering uh, into the conflict in terms of uh, setting up as a proxy war with actual overt lethal military aid or not is, is uh, a key over, you know, overriding question uh, as we look forward from here. So yeah, just uh, plenty of attention needs to be on this uh, at any time. Yeah, and <clears throat> let's move on to stocks to watch today. And it's a very light uh program today uh, with the only BSSF, which is reported, we already flagged that during the week, that they would end the week with their earnings release. And um, sour reading on the end of the year, and 2022 will be a year to forget, uh, I think, for the management and BSSF with the uh, penalizing high energy prices. Um, they're cutting 2,600 jobs to uh, improve their profitability. The Q4 revenue and EBIT uh, numbers or figures they missed estimates. They're also holding their shy, uh, sorry, their share buyback program. Makes a lot of sense. You need to preserve the capital here. And um, but the outlook was uh, is a tad better, both on the operating income side, but especially on the on the revenue outlook. Um, so 84 to 87 billion euros estimated revenue for the current fiscal year versus slightly less than 82 expected by the market. And uh, you can see also a BSSF has rebounded. From those lows as the energy prices have come down in in europe so you might have turned a corner but in any case if you look at the share price over those five years it's been a very bad story and yeah it doesn't look like chemical companies chemical companies are where you want to be played or positioned as an investor and then if we move to the earnings watch on slide eight um not a, I mean, there there are a lot of companies reporting next week, but a lot of them, are, I would say, in the tier two and tier three band of importance for the market, don't really a big market mover. I've tried to highlight in blue those. I think that 
uh, those earnings really that have some importance for their respective industries and also could be interesting from a macro perspective. So Occidental Petroleum, the company that uh, Berkshire Hathaway is believed to want to take over and, and control, um, at least they've got the mandate by also by regulators to move above the 50%. Soon video, this um, very popular stock during the pandemic, um, still a lot of noise about around that company. Montclair, given the focus we had on luxury, uh, in the past two weeks uh, here, at, uh, here at Saxo and with our new basket, Target from the consumer angle, and we just had the um, the Home Depot and, and, and Walmart earnings, so of course Target is also interesting here. First solar with the still strong performance among re- uh, renewable energy companies, and then on Wednesday, Salesforce and technology. We have four or five activist investors that have circled around uh, uh, Salesforce and, and actually taking a big position and now forcing Salesforce to aggressively cut costs and become more profitable. They say, we like the business, it's, it's an interesting trajectory, but look at, at Microsoft. You're essentially selling some of the same things without the the operating system, but you're selling business application software. You need to be much more profitable. And then Snowflake in uh, in cloud computing. Neo um, <clears throat> has really got their uh, their business together in, in, um, in China, ramping up significantly now electric vehicle production, looking stronger than, uh, than just a year ago. So we'll watch that, of course. And and you can if you want to have an, an update on the electric vehicle industry, which is up almost 10, 10x on uh, on deliveries um, compared to three years ago, you can read my equity note yesterday. Um, and and I, I try actually to broaden out the perspective a little bit what this will mean for the world, both in terms of oil demand from road transportation, but also could utilities, electric uh, utilities, potentially go through now a second renaissance in terms of growth. Uh, keep in mind that the first time we electrified 100 years ago, that was a growth industry, and then it, it went into a, a dormant period with uh, just sleeping and low growth, but maybe it's coming back. And then on Thursday, Anheuser-Busch InBev, which is this Belgian-American um, um, uh, brewer, very, the biggest one in the world, so we'll watch that, of course. And then CRH, uh, another company we typically talk about, but it's an Irish uh, construction uh, company, or not construction, building materials uh, for, for construction. And with the latest signals we got from Caterpillar, uh, the macro ind- numbers are indicating that despite the high interest rates, the uh, the construction and housing market is still doing okay. And then Costco, I think, is the last one we'll focus on on Thursday. And I've put in a little chart you can see here. On, um, on slide eight, where I've put in the 12 months rolling uh, EBDA margin. And um, I think the, the interesting thing is here that the gap between the S&P 500 and the stock 600 under this new theme, this era that we talked about, where, where, that we are talking about, you know, the physical world versus the intangible world, that has, you know, caused the profitability of, um, of stock 600 in Europe and S&P 500 to narrow to the lowest gap or the, the smallest gap since the financial crisis. Oh, interesting convergence there for sure. Let's look at the macro uh, calendar for the week ahead, which uh, surprised me actually because I was assuming it being March 3rd next Friday we'd have the latest U.S. jobs report, but that is not the case, I suppose, because of the short month of February. So um, that will not be until March 10th. So just a, a brief note there. Uh, but today we have the PC inflation data points um, from the U.S., I'm not sure there's a lot of anticipation around these, but of course, any surprise on the core in either direction could generate, especially on the month-to-month, could generate a bit of attention. A couple of Fed speakers out as well. The Fed's Waller is a uh, voter speaking on inflation somewhat late in the session. Don't think the market is particularly tuned into what the Fed is saying right now either. They're watching incoming data most of all. So uh, I think it'll be a pretty easy transition into next week. And, And the key data points next week are perhaps the ISMs especially after the confusion of that December 
uh, sort of dump in the ISM services in the U.S. that, that then suddenly recovered back to essentially unchanged from the November level uh, when we saw the January print of the ISM services at 55.2. All in all, it, I think it erodes confidence that these uh, surveys are showing much of interest. But when we have to take what we what we get, I think the ISM manufacturing more straightforward. We've seen a not terribly great uh, regional ones so far. There are a couple more before that Wednesday ISM manufacturing expected to print below 50 for the fourth time in a row. Uh, so we've had three declines uh, below 50 in the prior three months for that survey. And then we're, we're short of anything on really on the uh, central bank front next week as well. Uh, there are some of the European C- uh, inflation figures and the, the key one perhaps for, for next week being that Eurozone one, the February flash CPI, the expectations at the core are for a print of 5.4% year on year. That would be a new high uh, for that particular data series uh, for the cycle. So, and obviously a multi, whatever decade high as well versus the 5.3% in um, in January. So watch out for any surprises on that one as well. All right, uh, again, testy times here with the geopolitical backdrop still uh, not resolved in terms of the triggers on the downside in U.S. equities. We're waiting to see what happens, how we close the week here. Stay careful out there. Have a great weekend. And we'll be back next week with a Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.